1: Hello, welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, your podcast for ongoing film reviews and discussion here on The Mesh Network. My name is Alan Jackson, and with me is Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good.
1: Yeah, we've got a a great show today planned, kind of our standard format of show. We're going to go into a couple of movie reviews for you. We have two films in particular that we'll be discussing in this episode.
2: I am so excited to be talking about the Meg and the Hotel Transylvania, the third sequel. I'm, I can't wait.
1: Chris, I'm sorry to break this to you. Um, we had to have a change of schedule at the last minute, and we really? will not be talking about those two. Oh. I know you're big fans of both of them, but mm-hmm. we're going to change it up a little bit. I hope this is not throwing you off too bad. Okay. But uh, two also very, very big blockbuster films.
2: And they're like lighthearted comedies that are... Oh, absolutely. Okay.
1: Yeah, they're going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Um, it's The Rider... A okay. two thousand seventeen film that's been making uh playing in some diselect cities uh throughout the last several months. Uh and then a documentary called Three Identical Strangers huh. that we'll be talking about. So I hope that's okay. I see There's no giant rated so No giant pretty- eating sharks, <laughs> people eating sharks, and and no animated vampires, but I still feel like we've got a couple of good films to talk about.
2: Okay, fair enough.
1: So the writer and then the documentary Three Identical Strangers, that's the two we'll be discussing in today's episode. And then, as always, we'll hit some uh, movie news. Really, we may only be talking about one news item. It's pretty big. It is pretty big. Huge. And uh, it's likely to see me get kind of emotional. Actually, you know what? This may be an emotional episode all the way around. (laughs) Uh, for me personally uh something i'm pretty passionate about we're going to talk about in the new section having to do with some proposed changes to the oscar ceremonies and we'll discuss that when we get to there and then we'll close out the film with a recommendation from each of us of a film we think is worth checking out if you have a chance and are looking for something to revisit or uh, maybe uh get exposed to that you weren't aware of before chris that's our show Again, sorry about the lack of sharks, but I think, we, I think we're, we'll make up for it with some really good uh, good content to talk about with our first two reviews. Fair enough. All right. So our first review then is the latest film from director Chloe Zhao, and it stars uh, Brady Jandro, Tim Gendro and Lily Jandro. The film is The Writer.
3: No more writing, no more rodeos. If you don't stop, your seizures are going to get worse. I'd sell Gus, Brady.
2: I can't sell Gus. It's
3: not like you can ride anymore. You seen Lane? Ah! Remember when he went three for three in
0: McCool Junction? You won it? Yeah, that was a good night for Lane.
3: There you go.
1: Chris, with the rider, we have the story of a young cowboy rider... Uh, someone who's taken part in rodeos and uh, the, the whole sport of riding wild horses who had suffered, by the time the film opens, we learned that he had suffered just recently a near fatal head injury. Right. So the film really follows him as he's searching for what his identity is now going to be living in the heartland of America, kind of uh, the, the stereotypical cowboy and also the family dynamics around him that are kind of helping him guide who he's going to be or what he wants to be going forward the temptation to write again, despite medical uh, professionals and his family telling him not to pulling at him along the way. Chris, this is a very slow paced, very, but, but I could also say a a fairly authentic film that we're following around made even more interesting by the fact that the characters we're following are real people that these experiences more or less have happened to Brady Jandro, the, the main star, he actually was a writer and he actually did have a hit head injury. So this is a very real situation for him to play himself in his father and sister also playing some very uh, compatible parts uh, in, in the film as well. So Chris, we've talked sometimes about films and the pace that they take to tell their stories. I know that we've had issues sometimes with some films we've seen in the past that we feel like are, uh, don't really handle their pace very well. And or maybe too slow to get to where they're going. And by the time they get there, maybe they really haven't had a whole lot to say uh, in the grand scheme of things. The pace is one thing that really hit me with the writer and it is very slow pace, but I'm curious if you felt like the pace of the film helped and and made any impact on you, or was this a film that uh, maybe took too long to get where it was needing to go or didn't have a lot to say in the end for the amount of time we put in?
2: interesting well you know like you mentioned the pacing is slow um we're looking at 144 minutes so it's it's a long time no
1: actually it's an hour 44 so oh, n- yeah, as opposed to you know, but yeah as opposed it's not over 2 hours so right but,
2: yeah. yeah so an hour and 44 minutes and it is you know to me this was like the david gordon green aesthetic doing a western you know okay. or doing you know so it's A lot of really beautiful cinematography. Mm -hmm. Um, David Gordon Green also a lot of times uses non-professional actors. Um, So kind of, you know, taking that whole idea of approaching a film. It was maybe a little too slow for me at times, but I think that just added to kind of the almost documentary feel nature Mm -hmm. of the film. I liked it. I think it worked. However, I could see as far as hitting for mainstream audiences, Probably not going to really work for a lot of people because they're not going to want to spend an hour and forty four minutes you know without more happening. There yeah. is things that happen in the movie struggles that he encounters, decisions he has to make, but you know for me, it worked, but I can see how for many it would be frustrating
1: yeah i um i I typically have a tough time with films that are this slowly paced um but but this one worked for me okay. uh, I think the fact that the cinematography was so outstanding. Beautiful imagery. Uh, many, many times I saw, you see shots that are very, they're very authentic. They're not staged that are not, but you feel like you're looking at something that could be, you know, uh, framed on a wall in sure. some images. The true idea of the uh, the modern day cowboy and uh, really kind of looking at this section of America, uh, I thought the cinematography was, was great. It definitely helped me with the pace and I think to knowing that the people we were watching, many of them were, it's very, very authentic and that, you know, Brady is a cowboy writer and, and he is someone who's gone through a traumatic head injury from, from writing. Uh, knowing that it's probably good for me to go into the film because I think it's just much more fascinating to watch when you know all the, the, the real connections that are happening there. Um, for me, it was, it was emotional. It, sure. it, 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 it worked. Uh, it is someone dealing with past trauma and how that past trauma has now affected and possibly changed the course of his life. Uh, may or may not be keeping him from his own passions. Um, you know, the film it reminded me the most of uh, is The, uh, the Wrestler.
2: I was going to say, yeah, yeah, kind of a wrestler of cowboy films.
1: It's absolutely the same structure. I mean, we, we, we meet up with the character after they've already kind of gone through a period of some bodily harm or, or anything else has injured them. And their desire to kind of get their family relationships. You learn about the family relationships and those, those that have on the, they have on the main character. But in the end, it's all about, you know, am I going to pursue my dreams or do I need to... <laughs> face reality and where i am in life right now. So, right. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, similar format to it. Your thoughts in general. Now you said that it was a little slow, but overall how did you feel about the film?
2: I, I, you know, I liked it and i think, you know, i did feel it was a little slow, but kind of what carried me was being able to appreciate the fact that these were non-professional actors and specifically the ones I'll call out, you know, the main character, Brady, um he's able to there's not a whole lot of dialogue in the film, but Just his mannerisms, the way he moves, the intensity that he seems to have when he's listening to people or and listening to people talk and not saying anything back or, you know, just he communicates a lot with his face. He's very expressive. Um, And it's just there were some moments, the one that comes to mind immediately, that not a lot of humor in this film, Mm -hmm. but there are little moments he has to take a job in a grocery store. And it shows him doing mundane tasks like checking somebody out in the line or cleaning stuff back in the the meat area, you know. The, and then at one point he's stocking shelves, and he's using like a, a gun to like you know to snap a you know UPC codes, a scanning gun. And he kind of twirls it and kind of flips it in his hand, kind of like you would a pistol or a revolver, or whatever. And he he kind of has like a brief little moment of fun, and yeah. that's just kind of showing him, you know, I think. The non professional actor, just kind of you know really being into what he's doing, and I thought that was a cool, an interesting moment
1: yeah
2: i'll get to the other person that really helped me with the film, and I loved every time she was on screen uh, Lily Jander, who plays his sister in the movie Lily Blackburn um, she i I think she's mildly autistic it's not mm-hmm. really ever directly stated in the film, but you can tell that she has to be you know, kind of parented more than she should be for her age. You can just kind of tell that that's... But her way of interacting with Brady and his patience when he's interacting with her and trying to say, no, Lily, you know, you don't need to do this. You need to do this. But yet the wisdom that comes out of her mouth when she's Mm -hmm. talking to him about, you know, you writing, you're getting hurt. Why are you doing that? Just some of those scenes were just amazing and really well shot. That even... They'd be amazing scenes with professional actors Mm -hmm. they're that much more so because these are non-professional actors that are brother and sister doing this and it just it comes across really really well and those a lot of those moments are what made the movie for me Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i i I really appreciated the film quite a bit it's not typically the kind of film i really uh, enjoy but this is it it worked for me I, i think i think it's a combination of uh, the directors touched on the film, the authentic actors, and uh, the cinematography. It's just it was just a nice blend of a film that worked. Um, I, I felt like it paid off
2: uh,
1: for the time you put into it. You know, I think the ending was pretty heartfelt. Um, it, it not over it never got over the top sentimentality. It never got over the top. Uh, anything inauthentic. I didn't feel like the whole film. So there was a scene too. I'll I'll comment on that. I mean, I still just think it's fascinating to watch on, on film, even when it's not a documentary, this is actually acted film, but um, there's a moment where he's having to work with a very wild horse and kind of Hmm. break the the horse a little bit. And I mean, we're actually watching this. I mean, you can tell. I mean, the horse obviously is not being scripted. (laughs) The horse is being himself. Right. And the horse did not want anybody touching him or anybody uh, riding him. But you actually walked for a, a good several minutes. You're watching him as Brady is working with his horse and kind of breaking him down a little bit to the point where, yep, Brady gets is able to get up on him after a while. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cool that we're watching this in a film and it actually fits and it makes sense why it's happening in the story. And it tells us a lot about what kind of person he is uh, and how good he is at what he does. So um, little moments like that, I just thought really worked really well. And then um,
2: when the tension in those moments too, because you're getting to see the wonder of him being able to train a horse, but at the same time, you know that like, yeah, but you're kind of doing stuff that's really dangerous for you right now. Because (laughs) if you had fell off or did something really that could really be bad for you. Yeah. But you know, so it's, he's doing something he loves. He's really good at it, but there's that tension of, yeah, but the slightest thing could really hurt you right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that is a really good scene.
1: See what I'm really curious about, Chris, I'm just kind of talking out loud because I don't know the answer to this, but there are several moments in the film where we're watching home video footage mm-hmm. of him writing. And then one moment of him actually having his accident. Right. And of course, I don't know without having read up more to see if, that really was the videotape of his accident in real life. Sure, I would think it probably was. Um I hate saying even the word amazing because it's a traumatic situation, but amazing to have that footage and weave it into this story. I just it's it's pretty amazing what they pulled off with sure. with all this. So I, I'm impressed by the film. I, I do think it's. Could it be one we hear batted around, you know, later in the year with awards? I wish it would be because I think it's the kind of film that could be up and should be in that category. But with it coming out so early in the year, and I, I, I don't really think they're making that that play for it right now. But yeah,
2: it's such a tough thing because it doesn't have any obviously any well known named actors. Yeah. The director, I believe, has only done one other film, and it was Songs My Brother Taught Me, which True. I have had a chance to see. Um, and this is definitely you can see um how Chloe Zhao the director is really you know becoming stronger and stronger i'm interested to see what her third film will be the first film was kind of it was about native americans on a, living on a reservation mm-hmm. but it did have some um bull riding and some cowboy stuff in there and i think that's where she actually met brady jander to do it oh, right. so you know it's interesting to see her her path and had Moonlight not won, I'd say there's no way this could even be nominated for anything. <laughs> but, you know, more independent films are getting noticed. But like you say, I, I think it would be really, well. Really the timing, tough. the
1: timing's just off. Because, sure. I mean, normally this is the kind of film, if you're going to go for that kind of award ceremony, awards attention, you release it later in the year. This one came out early in the year. We're just now having a chance to catch up with it. Right. So... Um, it's the writer. I, I I don't really have much else to say other than I think it was a really good film and well done, but it is understand very intentionally slow and it is also very authentic. You know, there are some, some moments that are a little tough to deal with and tough to watch. You know, we mentioned, uh, I think somewhere earlier in the conversation, we mentioned that he had a friend in the film, uh, Lane Scott, who was actually another writer, another cowboy writer and, um, who had been injured also. So Lane Scott is in the film as his friend and his in the film. He is paralyzed and, and really wrestling with a lot of, a lot of impact from that injury. Um, Another example of a real person that has gone through a real situation, but using that to channel into a performance that was really impressive to watch. Powerful. Um, Very, very powerful to watch. Yeah. I guess that's probably the better word for it.
2: So I have a question for you. Sure. We're kind of wrapping up our talk on the writer, but a lot of times I know I've said it before, and I think you've talked about it before, where they'll use something in a film to make a statement. And maybe you feel like you're being manipulated towards something and maybe you feel it's unjust or unfair. I think I know how you're going to come out on this, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to throw it out there. Part of Brady's injury is that he has problems With, I think it's his right hand, in holding or holding things, and like he'll basically he won't be able to release his hand and open up his hand. Yeah. So you know he'll have to pry it loose with his left, and he'll have to pry his right hand open. So that's used, could we say, as a metaphor or something for not being able to let go of Mm -hmm. writing, Um, and it shows him having struggles with that. And there's an important part at the end where he's struggling, and the outcome of that do you feel like that was earned within the context of the film or do you feel like it was too heavy handed?
1: No, I felt, I felt it was was genuine. I really did. I Um, I agree. Normally
2: I think that's the type of thing I would bristle at. Yeah. Um, I I think it was just, it felt so authentic and it, it was kind of, I don't know. It was kind of relief mm -hmm. in, (laughs) in some points. So,
1: well, I mean, we knew this was, this was an injury he had. And I mean, it, it, it started to surface again at a particular moment. And uh, no, and I think the way Brady played it off too, and just you could tell he was wrestling with a lot of decisions and a lot of uh, questions in his own mind at that point. So uh, no, I, I think, I mean, really, the last twenty minutes of this film I think are extremely well done and powerful. Probably from the moment where he has a horse that he starts to bond with and. Uh, Apollo. No, Apollo. Yes. Yeah. The por- the horse starts to have a, a situation or a predicament from that moment on. It's like, I thought everything was just really well done and building to a really good ending. Well,
2: I felt and talking like talking so. about Apollo yeah. Yeah. briefly, which not that they're really spoilers in this movie, but we're trying to dance around certain things, but the, the mere having Apollo in the film and kind of his path in the film mm-hmm. So I could see some people resisting that because they again feel like it's too heavy-handed in reference to Brady Mm. um, and the things that are going. But I feel like I I I think it works, which I think is a big yeah. I did too. I I attribute that to Brady the actor, but I also attribute it to the director and writer how Mm -hmm. how they handled it.
1: No, I thought it was all played very very authentically and it worked. And I didn't feel manipulated. I didn't feel anything was was was. uh, Place to uh, control your emotions or, or, or affect your emotions anyway. It just it just worked, and you know, and there's a scene where Brady has kind of a little bit of an emotional, very uh, low level but emotional. I think for him, breakdown in a way, and it I, I felt it was real. And knowing that he's pulling from some of his own personal experiences, right? I, I kind of believe it was real. I mean, I think sure. there's probably a good part of it that was real. So that's um. You know, you always feel I always feel strange thinking about I'm watching someone's life, watching them act out parts of a life that actually did happen to them. Sure. And watching them go through any drama or trauma that really did happen to them. It's it can be a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I think I'd like to think it's cathartic for them to kind of go through this and be a part of this film and kind of act out some things that they've been maybe feeling themselves. So all that being said, I, I, I think the film was good. I think I probably appreciated it more for what it was and how it came to be as much as I did just how it looked and felt and, and, and uh, the way it was put together. So um, I, I think it was really good. I think it was a really good film and I think it's, it's, it's deserving of a lot of the acclaim I know it's gotten from some, especially some independent uh, film awards. I think it won a lot of spirit awards earlier in the year. I mean, I think it, it deserved those. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's the writer. Uh, it is currently online. So it is something where, you know, at the time of this listening, you, you could go online and rent it and watch it. Uh, it is available for you. It's a 2017 film, but it really kind of hit, I think a premiere in in USA in April. So it's been out for a few months now. And uh, we both encourage you to check it out. We think it's worth watching. Um, So our next film is a documentary. And we'll be talking about the film Three Identical Strangers.
2: As I reach out to knock on the door, it opens. And there I am. His eyes are my eyes. My eyes are his eyes. And it's true. And then the story went from being amazing to incredible. It was an article to Twins Reunited. I think I
0: might be the third.
3: That's when things kind of got
0: funky. They separated these boys at birth. The
2: parents had never been told that there were two other children. What was the purpose? Why?
0: How could you not tell us?
2: Three Identical Strangers is... A story, obviously it's a documentary, but it's 1980 New York. Three young men who are all adopted end up meeting each other, and they find out they're triplets who were separated at birth. And as the film goes on, they discover why. Um, Alan, this is our third uh, documentary in our as many episodes. We started off with Won't You Be My Neighbor? That's right. Yep. Then we had RBG, and now yep. here we are with three identical strangers all documentaries that have been getting a lot of buzz that you would seem to think of the five documentaries that are going to be nominated at the end of the year one of these three if not two of them if not maybe all three may end up kind of being at least in the conversation if not some of those five Mm -hmm. um with identical strangers how do you feel like it stacks up as a documentary as far as not necessarily to the other two But just how they handled the subject matter and just your overall thoughts on the film to get us started off. And we'll note we're going to start off talking a little bit of generals here without spoilers, um, because this film, even though it's a documentary, happened back in 1980, (laughs) Um, the events did there's stuff in there that has been revelatory for audiences to see and has brought about some changes. So, But we'll just briefly give thoughts and then we'll get into spoiler territory. Yeah, it is territory.
1: difficult to really review this film without sure. getting a spoiler. So we're going to talk surface stuff first and then we'll kind of take a take a moment let you cut off your, your device and you can shut it off if you want to and you not can, hear the, the, and the spoilers. just
2: fast forward until you hear us starting to talk about news.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so that'll exactly. be the easy thing. So with this film, how does it stack as a documentary? Okay, I will say I think it is a well-structured documentary. And I think from an interview style and from a production standpoint, it's really, really well done. Okay. Um, it reminds me more of a lot of the podcast series that are kind of being more of the rage the last few years where it's more of a serialized, like cereal, like serial. Okay. And then there was also S town, another one, mm-hmm. very, very similar style, but just in a film documentary style, it's pose a situation, leads you down a path where a situation is interesting and kind of funny and kind of hey heartwarming and great, but then there's a turn and then some things get revealed. And it's like every ten, fifteen minutes something else is being dropped there's out. Another there, turn
2: or another almost like another promise. episode
1: of the podcast, you know, in a, okay. in that format. So that's how I I saw it. I think of course I think documentaries started that format many, many years back. back but I think the podcast, the serialization of these giving you a little piece of information a little bit at a time and building a story out is very evident in this this documentary
2: okay um something that was that kind of what you're talking about the serialization of documentaries was yeah, not but, evident in rbg or won't you be no 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 right. it was uh Specifically you know, I, with this one you noticed you how
1: didn't learn down. pieces along the way that built a story out got you in other words we were being put in the same situation as the three triplets we were learning as they were learning what was happening. And I think that's kind of the style that the serialized podcasts have made really popular in recent years. Sure. So from that standpoint, I think it was good. I think the subject matter itself, this topic is fascinating. And especially as we get in a little bit and we talk about spoilers, I think where the film goes is very interesting, Mm -hmm. but I did have some real problems with the film. Hmm. Um, I'll be interested
2: to hear what those are. Um, I it, think it's tough for
1: me to explain, but I will say I think the last half or third of the film loses focus, and I think there's some really critical information that, as a documentary, it needs to be providing us to to make the case it's trying to make. And again, I'm talking very vague right now. Right, but, right. and know. I
2: think interesting i think overall i am going to be higher on this documentary okay. than you are all right um, and i hear what you're saying about the few minutes and we'll get into spoiler territory this documentary to me felt very experimental okay. um in mm. ways that rbg and won't you be my neighbor and other documentaries that i've seen didn't the way it handled time the way it used reenactments the way that it did kind of like what you're saying serialize information mm-hmm. and treat it kind of like a dun 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 and then go on a little bit more and then do that again. I can see how that would be. Um, some people would feel that was disingenuous to mm-hmm. the subject matter or manipulative. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that way. And I don't feel that way about the last 20 minutes, but we'll get into why I feel that way when we get into spoiler territory. Um, cause I don't want to, but I'll say just overall impressions for me. I thought the story was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say that I actually ended up seeing this twice, which is unusual. Usually I come in here and I've only seen something once. Yes. But in this instance, I got to see it twice. And a second viewing of it was very revealing to me. Okay. And I think because there's things that you I don't catch, and I don't think you're meant to catch, but I caught the second time through because I knew where things were going to end up. And it was just, that's why I feel like it was kind of an experimental way of doing certain things. <laughs> so I would say if you're interested, you may remember this because it was basically when they reunite, they are on the dot Phil Donahue. They're on good morning America or yeah. the today show. They were supposed to on,
1: on every media outlet. Yeah, every you media imagine.
2: outlet it was widely publicized. They ended up having a restaurant in New York city that the triplets opened together. I mean, it was really all over the place. So you may kind of have heard the story, but just some of the why and some of the stuff that happened, you may not know the details. I thought it was fascinating. Ends up being, I think you and I can both say, a lot heavier than what we expected. Yeah,
1: I, I think you know when you see the trailers and you see all that, you think, you, you hear that it's how these three brothers find out that they're triplets, and but the why and what happened to get to that point is is a lot deeper, uh, a lot more serious yeah. than I think you may feel like you're getting into if you just saw the trailer or posters or whatever it's 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 got some heavy themes to it some very very deep heavy themes about parenting about childhood about relationships about you know just the human condition (laughs) yep and uh even some things as some of our film society members kind of comment on afterwards that echo a little bit of what we see even you know in political nature today, too. So there's just a, there's a lot going, going on. Right <laughs> it's actually probably one of the more interesting conversations we've had about the film afterwards with our Film Society members, with people with a lot of comments and questions and likes and dislikes. So a lot deeper than it appears on the surface. Okay. I think it's good. I'll okay. say that. I yeah, think it's sure. good. It's just... I think the fact that I liked so much of it up to a certain point made it a little more disappointing for me when it didn't when it didn't really follow through with some of the things it was trying to promise.
2: So on that note, guys, yeah. we're gonna say we're now entering spoiler territory. If you haven't seen the film, probably skip ahead like 10 minutes or so, or until you hear us starting to talk about it Or if you news. don't care,
1: and you're just <laughs> you going to listen care, to us talk anyway, that's
2: then fine, skip but... ahead about 10 minutes where we'll start talking about it. We news. need
1: like a spoiler little jingle or something we like do. that to play, but it's okay. <laughs> we like a little bell that rings whenever we start and stop spoiler time. Right. So yeah, so let's just go ahead and get into it because again, if you're listening now, either you've already seen the film or you don't really care to be spoiled, you're fine listening to what happens in the film. So, so
2: Alan, why don't you, so we've said, you know, mm. The triplets have met. Yeah, they've opened up a restaurant. Then you learn kind of yeah. why they were split up, how it all happened. Well, why don't you give me a run of basically? I'll
1: give you the synopsis. The, story, the synopsis, the story. and then
2: you can tell me what fell apart for you. In the so last we ten
1: find out that the three brothers were all adopted from the same agency in New York, and when they were when confronted the agency, the agency says that they were separated uh, because they didn't feel like it would be able to. Uh, have somebody adopt all three correct which was kind of a weak excuse and also the agency is kind of committed to telling them all about any brothers or other family situations that need to be there so that's step number one we find out that it was kind of a you know odd situation to be broken up but then we learned that actually there was an experiment going on there was a researcher who was working on experiment in conjunction with this same adoption agency to basically find out, and we're not sure exactly the scope of the research because we come to find out that the research has never been published, so we don't know the details. But we have to assume from what we learn in the documentary, the research is all about uh, the impact that different parenting styles have on children growing up. So by splitting the three adopted children, not being birth natural children of these parents, Putting them into three different types of households.
2: Deep socioeconomic so, group.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different types of parenting styles, right. different wealth and education levels. I mean, they really had like upper end doctor, lawyer. They had a middle uh, teacher, and I think uh, middle class and teaching family. And then you've got a lower income, blue collar family. Mm-hmm. And to put a three triplets spread out across these three families and to basically monitor them and you can find out later in the film that yes they had actually been going every year or so and videotaping
2: the kids in and their the, house the parents didn't know that there were triplets either like all yeah. they knew was like oh we're getting a kid they're just coming to monitor us to learn about adoption
1: well they, I think the adoption agency said hey one of the conditions is we want to be coming out and checking on the progress right. and like asking them to do tests and videotaping them and all. And it's all for us to monitor how the child's developing in this household. Right. But really they're doing it to see what are the differences between these three kids. And, uh, we come to find out that this research is was paid for by some different groups and charities and the quote Washington, as we are told at one point. So we don't know if there's government involved or not. Um, so we find all this out. We find out that it's all basically an experiment Experiment uh, using the three boys as, as case studies and that there are other twins out there that were separated through the same agency, many of them not even knowing probably still to this day that they were actually twins. They have a twin brother or sister. We see one other couple that we're introduced to later in the film that, that uh, found out about themselves too. Um,
2: something also concerning that we yeah. learned throughout the film is right. that some of the parents, we don't know about all, cause we don't even know of all the are involved in the study, but for example, the triplets, their mother likely had some mental issues. Oh, right. Yes. And then that, and then that contributes to certain events that happen in the film, a pair of twins that they find out they're twins that you mentioned. It was uh, two ladies find out they were twins and they were reunited. They discover in a letter that their mother was possibly schizophrenic, yeah. and none of that information was relayed to them when they were growing up or anything, or more importantly, to their adoptive parents so they yeah. could help them. So,
1: well, one. we start to see that the three brothers, all three, had times while they were teenagers uh, dealing uh, in uh, mental facilities, uh, dealing with deep depression. Mm-hmm. All three of them. Mm-hmm. So the the film, and this is where I'm getting to more of my my, my okay. feedback and criticism. The sure. film tries to, I think, make a case for whether or not the whole question of nature versus nurture. Sure. These three boys being identical twins, and we spend a lot of the film seeing how similar they are. Mm-hmm. A lot of comments are made, especially when they become big stars, celebrities. celebrities yeah. These famous tri- triplets that met each other when they were 19 or 20 years old. How similar they were. They had similar. Uh, they looked identical. They dressed the same. They had the same interest. They both, all three played, were wrestlers in school. Mm-hmm. Um, they it's all the had the same brand of cigarettes. Same brand of cigarette. They had the same uh, taste in women, you know, right. all this. Right. But then yeah. the film tries to make the case that we'll know, even though those were all superficial things that were similar about them, they really were different people because of the different parenting uh, that they had. That basically, they feel like nurture outweighed nature. And but yet the researchers that we meet, we do meet two of the research assistants that were involved in the study from years ago.
2: Mm -hmm. Who are portrayed Uh, rather ghoulishly.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But they make they're trying to make the case that no, the the kids are very much similar and it's all nature. Nature is driving this. So it's a little bit I think the film was trying to initiate a little bit of that argument. It leaves us at the end with the argument that we hear from some of the family members of the triplets that no, no, no. The boys are very different. They're their own people. And it was all nurture. It was all the parents. But the film never showed us any of that. I mean, my 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 issue with the film is I walked away feeling like these three pretty darn identical in everything I saw. And we never saw anything about what their lives were like after the three of them split up. And their business, I guess, split up. And one of them left the family business and left their shared apartment. After that point, that was probably in their mid-20s. We didn't see anything else what happened to these guys. We're interviewing them. Two of them Two of them we're still talking to in an interview. But we don't understand what their lives have become. So the argument of saying that they are truly different people never well, stood out to me whatsoever in the film. Okay. I, I didn't and here's, get that. Here's
2: man. where we differ on that okay. and why it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. That's a red herring. Nature versus nurture. So you think that's red, really not where you're going with film. the film. But – That is talked about, but basically that's a red herring. I think what the film is trying to end, what happens to them after this is exposed and after they have a falling out, that's not important because Mm. these people were forced into the limelight by something that happened to them that never would have happened had they not been split up. True. And then... After they lose their fame, you don't learn anything more about them. I think that's good. They've had, unfortunately, a good amount of time in the limelight that possibly damaged them worse than the dark. The point of this film is to say something really upsetting happened with a governmental study. This is what happened. This is what it did to their lives. It is about the twins or the triplets, but it's not. It's really about how could we allow this to happen, which brings about the fact that the – Main researcher who did this was a Holocaust survivor.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Okay.
2: These events were happening in 1960, which is like 20 years after World mm-hmm. War II and the Holocaust and everything. The type of thing, the experimentation on humans that they were doing, these triplets, the set of twins that we learned about, and apparently a couple of other twins and triplets that we don't know about, the mere fa- oh, and we're doing it all in the name of research, nature versus nurture. That doesn't matter. Mm. the cost of what you're doing and the benefit. And I'm not saying, but I think that that's, that's what they're trying to make you realize. And I I can understand how, you know, at the end it's like, Oh no, fear not. Nature wins out over or nurture wins out over nature. And I think that, yeah, it could have been maybe handled a little better, but I think to me it was more about like kind of an experimental nature of the documentary and revealing information. I could see how it could be distracting to some people and they wouldn't like it or they would feel manipulated. Well, for, yeah. for example, I'll give a specific example. First time I watched this movie, I didn't pick up on something. And when I watched it through the second time, I noticed they had this pattern of repeating some of the Phil Donahue footage or some of this footage where they keep saying like, Oh yes, we smoke the same brand of cigarettes. We like the same colors. We like the same age of women. Like they can't, and they, whenever they would have a big revelation about um, a brother committing suicide or about nature versus nurture and they would bring that up, they would kind of repeat these instances and you kind of felt like you were getting beat over the head. Well, one point when they do it, they show a clip of Tom Brokaw revealing a piece of information that you don't realize he's really revealing. He's just like, oh, yes. And these guys were placed in homes that already had an adopted sister. And you're like, oh, OK. And you don't really think anything of it. Or at mm. least I didn't. When you're watching it through the second time and you realize the extent to which they were manipulating the parents and the children, the fact that those sisters were placed there and then these guys were placed into those specific homes because they already knew parenting styles. And it was kind of like as a viewer, you don't realize things, too, because like you said, you're learning things at the same time. As the, it's like they're trying yeah. to treat you like the triplets. You getting this information. How are you able to absorb it? Sure. And it's so much coming to you that it's kind of confusing. I had trouble. I mean, granted, look alike, <laughs> but I had trouble with the names. It was like this one's Eddie or Edward. This one's yeah. Robbie or Bobby or Robert yeah. and then David. And I was like, okay. But it was by the second
1: viewing last so, night, I I had it down pat. I yeah, knew it. I knew which one was which. I could pick them out. And I think um,
2: with any documentary, too, with any film, actually, even though I may have. A couple of misgivings with this one. One of the ways, like you mentioned, the researchers kind of I thought were unfairly, maybe demonized. I mean, grant what they did was bad, but I feel like just the, the way, way it what was, they mm. left in their interviews, not what they took out, but maybe they, who knows what they took out, but yeah. what they chose to put in the film, yeah, maybe demonized them. Or oh, really it was definitely meant to light. show
1: them as fairly callous and just right. uh, yeah. Well, my thing is, I love the themes and the topics and the things it was exploring in all of them. I, I, I thought the 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 question about the research and the the reason behind the research and how poorly that's gone and, and and how poorly thought out that decision was is fascinating. I thought the watching how these kids grew up in these different house environments and the parenting styles that shaped them is fascinating. I thought the dynamics between the three brothers and how they – this idea of all of a sudden after 19 years, you got to learn how to be brothers now. And you Mm -hmm. have cramming in a lot of learning at one time. Sure. And also what becoming celebrities like in the snap of your fingers uh, within a few weeks of them learning about each other – They're now in newspapers and TV shows and all that across the country. So many fascinating themes and ideas and discussions. I just felt like the film in the last 30, 40 minutes was ping ponging between two and three different stories it wanted to tell or two or three different messages it wanted to get across. And I just didn't feel like any of them really fleshed out. Hmm. If it had kind of, if the film had completely done a, a 90 degrees midway through and say, you know what? That's great. The triplets, we told you the story about them. Now we're going to shift, and we're just going to focus solely and on this research. whole research. Okay. Then I'm like, okay, I get it. The, the The triplets were not important. It didn't matter. It's the research and the fact that this happened to multiple sets of twins, and let's really dig in and find out why. But they didn't do that. They, they would go on that path some, and then they come back to – now let's talk about the relationship Eddie – the one who did commit suicide had with his father and how that relationship might've helped impact some of the issues that he was having and all that. And I'm like, okay, so now we're going to talk about the parenting relationship and see how that impacted these kids. I'm like, and then there was the dynamics between the three brothers and how they had their own falling out because they just hadn't learned over 20 years how to really work together as, as, as brothers. Right. So many fascinating themes that I would have loved to have dug deeper in any of them. But I just felt like that last 30 minutes, it's like, let's just ping pong you around and let's just make sure we hit the highlights of each of these. And then now we're done. And it's like, I wanted more of each, but I would have been happy if they had focused on one track and given me a little more on that.
2: Well, so. it's interesting that, yeah. And you mentioned that things like S town and serial and kind of the serialization of mm-hmm. the documentary form With things on Netflix like Wild, Wild Country, um, My Life is a Murderer, what's the? Uh,
1: Making a Murderer. Making of a Murderer.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that that have been serialized on Netflix and gotten really good, you know, critical response. Um, I could see how maybe if this had not been shoehorned into, you know, an hour and thirty-six minute documentary. If they had made it oh, more of a serialized, you know what? You're And maybe right. you know three episodes or four episodes. It wouldn't be like oh, twelve. Having
1: plenty of time to really explore each angle would have been fascinating. I
2: could I could see how maybe it would have been better served. I really, I think both of us appreciate the documentary. Yeah. I think I'm a little more high on it than you are, but I will say that, you know, hearing what you're saying about focus and everything in the last 20 minutes it wasn't frustrating to me I realized how it was to you and I no. think maybe it could have been better served by yeah. splitting it I out just,
1: I think we just I needed more sure of one path or another and I, I felt like they just there was a lot there's a lot to process with this film and I admired <laughs> yeah. it for that but I think when you have so much to process and you point us in four different directions <laughs> and then the film ends I don't feel like any of those four really carried the film and so, I think for yeah. me,
2: the granted this is also why I said the experimental nature to me, it felt like mm-hmm. it was experimental is, and maybe I'm giving the director too much credit um, and the editor too much credit is mm-hmm. for me, it gave, I was, and I had the same feeling as you, but I appreciated it because I felt like, I mean, I don't know what it was like to be one of the triplets. I don't know what it was like to be a twin that had this happen to them. But the frustration or the confusion of having multiple four different themes and having that kind of scrambled there in the last 20 minutes, I was like, at the end of the documentary, I'm kind of thinking, this is, you know, a percentage point of what they probably went through and are still going through and still trying to feel. So that's why it felt more like an experimental, experiential documentary as opposed to more of a typical documentary so
1: and i'll say too just in, in, uh, on my end in closing uh, i uh and because we are spoiling sure it's okay I mean, for me yeah, to say this we've, we've um, a lot. just like some of those uh, serialized podcasts i was referring to mm-hmm. earlier sure um there's not really a clean ending to this film either right which is something that i know used to frustrate me when i started listening or watching these multi-part serialized documentaries the making the murderer and some of these on uh, as well there's no ending. There's no tie it all up and here's the answer you're looking for. It's basically an exploration of where it's going, but it doesn't really give you a clear answer at the end. Right. And this film does the same thing. Yeah. But that, I thought, was at least I'm okay with that because it did put us right in the shoes of the characters. Sure. They don't have an answer either. No. We know this experiment happened. We know the people who were behind it. We have general beliefs on what the experiment was about but we don't know what was learned from it. We don't know the real exact meaning or rationale for it. We don't know who else was affected by it. I mean, these are all still question marks. um, that the film acknowledges at the end are question marks and they don't have the answers for. Right. So that I'm okay with, but you know, if you're somebody who looks for a film to kind of give you a complete picture, a complete story with an ending at the end and resolution, you're not really going to get it here. Just left leaves you with some questions at the end. And uh, I'm okay with that. I just would have liked a little more focus. But actually, the more you, you, you brought it up, the more I think about it. Yeah, a multi-part documentary series where each episode could really focus in on one of the themes that's covered in the film would have mm-hmm. been brilliant. Sure, Have a, an episode just about the parenting relationships with the kids. Have one about how the three brothers just interacted with one another. Mm-hmm. Have one about where they are now and show us what's going on with the two remaining brothers' lives. Yeah, you just it's tough to do that in an hour and 30 40 minutes, but um this is a film that warranted it. So mm-hmm. I, I would have been happy with that. This is one time I will champion for a more extended broader format for a film. But um but regardless, I like the documentary. I thought it, it was a very well-done documentary. I just I needed I needed more focus. So So that's three identical strangers. Uh, We're both recommending it. Chris is more high on it than I am, but uh, still both thinking it's a good choice of a film to check out. I would not be upset if this film showed up in a best documentary list at the end of the year. I would not be upset if Won't You Be My Neighbor showed up on that list. Sure. I won't be upset if RBG showed up on that list. I think all three are very good documentaries. They're all different in their style and tone. But I think they're all three really good. I've got some misgivings with all three of them. Sure,
2: sure.
1: <laughs> I don't think any of them are perfect <laughs> documentaries, but I do think they're all worthy of getting some more attention later in the year. So
2: I think it's just it's incredible that these documentaries all came out this year and they're all this strong. Like it's just crazy that, and we're not even into you know the October, November, December yet. Yeah,
1: that's true. It's so been a int- really good year for a little more. I don't want to say mainstream because these are not mainstream documentaries, but these are all ones that have gotten more public attention than I think typical documentaries do. Yeah. The subject matter has all been very interesting. And sure. you know, I think it's the kind of subject matter that's getting people's attention.
2: I mean, usually I feel like towards the end of the year, you're lucky. I feel like I'm speaking personally, when they announce the final 5 for an Oscar, which they're saying, "Hey, these are ones you should look at. Obviously, we may give them an award." I'm lucky if I've seen one of them.
1: Yeah. I'm you know, usually
2: way. I've seen like one, maybe two, maybe two. And I don't know what the announcement is going. but I just, I feel like this year I've already seen three documentaries that have been, you know, so I'm, I'm just curious as to, I'm going
1: to be surprised if at the end of the year, I, I, I haven't already seen two, if not three, three. of the best picture nominees. I agree. Yeah. Speaking of the Oscars,
2: ah, we're transitioning. <laughs> we are. We're
1: going to take a quick break, but when okay. we come back, we are going to talk about uh, some Oscar news, kind of some big news, and something I've have some very stated opinions about. Chris and I, you have not, you and I have not talked about it yet. True. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, we will talk about the changes that are coming to the Oscar ceremony uh, in the coming years. Uh, but until then uh, hold tight we've got a couple messages uh, to make and then we'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV
3: When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh it's girls talking about stuff well girls want to talk about celebrities gossip fads boys it's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network here's a little taste of what you can expect but you know what I always thought was really exciting is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. That's a <laughs> example. perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. You it know? did. And then they had the beach. Summer one, where like where they the worked op- at the country club. Yes, yes. you know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff. And mm-hmm. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. So it's all it's even all- Baywatch when they change lifeguards. <gasps> absolutely. They had new people running down the beach in red bikinis, but you knew their new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. So come have a listen to Chick Chat on the Mesh TV. You know you want to.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Before we get into our news and before we get into our recommendations at the end of the show, we did want to take a, just a couple minutes to remind everybody of some exciting things happening here and going on in the coming weeks and months. Most notably, we have our fourth annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming to Hickory, North Carolina. That's western North Carolina, about an hour outside of Charlotte. Uh, That's western part of the state coming September 28th through the 30th, 2018. This is our fourth year. We have had, obviously, three other years of the festival. Uh, it's been an outstanding weekend every single year, and we feel like this one's going to be no exception. We have 37 films that are going to be shown over a three-day period of time. Uh, we'll actually start with a special preview event on Thursday night, the 27th, the night before the festival opens. Uh, that uh, You can learn more information about that event on our website uh, in the coming weeks, but then the actual festival itself tickets are on sale right now on our website, foot candle film 37 films. It's a mixture of documentaries, narratives, and shorts. We will have six awards that will be selected and presented, and they're all going to be announced at our closing dinner ceremony, which is on Sunday evening, September 30th. Uh, we have our opening night event on Friday night with our uh, short film selections and then our late-night night gallery shorts later in the evening. And then uh, feature-length films and some scattered short films throughout the rest of the weekend. Chris, I, I, I get so excited because this is like one of my favorite weekends of the year. Absolutely. Actually, I think it is the favorite weekend of the year for me in general. Uh, the last three years have been a blast. We've had a great turnout. We've had great volunteers. We've just had a really fun time. A lot of filmmakers coming to visit us as well. And we do feel like this year is going to be no exception on that as well. What else am I missing? What else do we need to remind everybody about with this festival? I
2: think, you know, now tickets are on sale. So uh, footcandlefilmfestival.com. You can go there see a full schedule and also um, buy tickets. We would encourage you to do so. Um, Lots of options on there as well as if you want to go ahead and just say, you know what, I want to just get a pass. And that way I can go Mm -hmm. see anything I want to. We do have a film pass that's available that lets you go see all the films for the weekend, but it is. It's, a, it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, it, it will be. We're looking forward to it. If you end up deciding to come and you're coming here from outside of the area and you heard about the festival through the program, the show here, drop us a note and let us know. We'd like to kind of know and uh, get a chance to make sure we meet you when you're uh, here in, in Hickory visiting with us in late September. So that's the Foot Candle Film Festival. Please check out your tickets online. We have a schedule, trailers of some of the films that we're showing, descriptions and bios of the directors, all on the website. And like Chris said, you can buy individual tickets or just buy a pass for the whole weekend. The Sunday night ceremony dinner is going to be a separate ticket, uh, and it's really going to be a great time. Last thing I'll mention that we're terribly excited about is on Sunday evening we will be giving out our first ever candle filmmaker grants.
2: That's right.
1: Uh, we have a grant program. We started this year through the film society where we had uh, a couple dozen applications, really good applications of films to review. And we will be announcing our uh, recipients of the grant money. And that grant money was all based on proceeds from last year's film festival. So that's the tradition we've started now, is taking all the proceeds from the festival and funneling that into a grant program the next year for emerging filmmakers and emerging film projects.
2: So you can come see some good movies and then also help future movies happen because your ticket proceeds will go to help future yeah. films be made. I think we've so. got it just about to the point
1: where every ticket you buy – That's the money that's going to go to the filmmakers. We've got the rest of the festival covered by all of our other grants and contributions and sponsorships. So very exciting. We hope to see you September 28th through the 30th. And uh, if you have any questions, FootCandleFilmFestival.com is the best place to go to get information.
2: Alan, let's talk about another really small small festival or industry. It's Mm. the Academy of motion pictures and arts and sciences. They do this really small award ceremony called the Oscars. And I think they just recently said they were doing something. What, what are they doing? So
1: yes, Uh, a nice (laughs) transition there. Um, So that leads us into our main news item. So Chris is, as he's alluding to the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences has uh, announced some changes. To the Oscar ceremony and the award process. They're going to
2: have it down to a half hour. (laughs)
1: Oh well, they're trying. Uh, um, Let me let me detail the the three published changes, and then there's also a couple other things that aren't on this list that I know are changes that are coming as well. Cool,
2: cool, because I've only heard about the one. Well, the one that I know of the one really controversial one. So they're more than just one change. Okay.
1: So first off, um, they are committed to the show lasting no more than three hours.
2: Oh, I had not heard that.
1: Yes. So they actually
2: have put a cut. They are
1: saying that we are committed to producing an entertaining show in three hours, hmm. delivering a more accessible Oscars for our viewers worldwide. To honor, here's the catch. <laughs> here's the catch for Thank three you. hours. Because if you think they're going to cut the monologue and they're going to cut some of the musical numbers and the end, no, they're not, I'm sure they're not going to cut any of that who's going to be damaged by this. It's going to be some of the awards, uh, to honor all 24 award categories. We will present select categories live in the theater during commercial breaks. The winning monuments will then be edited and aired later in the broadcast. Mm. So in other words, um, cinematography, costume design. No, I'm guessing. Oh, right. Costume design, makeup. I'm sure those are some of the ones that are going to be presented during commercial breaks. So we won't see them live. Mm-hmm. But later in the show, they'll give us a little 20, 30 second clip of that person receiving the award. That's,
2: that's disappointing.
1: I think it is, too. So that's the that's instead of saying that we're going to scale down musical numbers, we're going to scale down some of this or some of that. Yeah. To no, we're going to
2: scale down the monologue. Yeah. Scale down like, yeah, some of the other stuff and just. Yeah, yeah. I
1: know. Oh, well. So That's change number one.
2: OK, I'm That's OK the with them. change.
1: I'm OK with them saying the three hours is our is our slot because, I mean, most programs, you know, you have a, a set time that sure. the show is going to run from this time to this time. So we got to get it done in that time. Right. I don't like any time they take more awards off the main stage or mm. not to the to the viewing public. Let me jump to number three. Number three is an earlier air date for the Oscars. Oh. So they're actually going to be airing them starting in 2020, not 2019. 2019 will still be late late February. I heard
2: February 9th. Well,
1: February 9th is going to be where they move it to in 2020.
2: Okay, okay. So
1: we're still a year off from that one. Okay. But moving it about three weeks earlier in the year. So really, the the, the year ends December 31st. It's about a month. And then, boom, the award ceremony. Hmm. So I guess they'll be announcing – their nominations in like what mid January. I mean, they got to announce them pretty quick to yeah. get them there. But so you're saying
2: this year, it's still going to, it's not, February. it's still going to be late February, late
1: February or gotcha. early March that they do the show in 2019. Okay. So that one, I'm okay with that too. That's, okay. That's all on them to figure out the workflow to make it yeah. happen. But I'm okay with it being a little sooner. It does sure. seem like when we're in March and we're celebrating films from the previous year, it's already kind of Seems deep a in the lame, year. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, so I'm sure. okay with that. Right. So far, the two things announced I'm okay with, okay uh, with. you know, I got some misgivings to how they're planning on shortening the telecast, but I get it. Sure. Let's talk about the big one though. There will be a new award category.
2: Wait, So they're cutting awards or putting them on the sideline, and then they're still adding an award. That right there seems crazy. And Alan, what is this award? This award
1: is going to be for Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film.
2: Okay. My initial reaction is that sounds like something that would be on the MTV Music or Movie Awards. (sighs) Alan, tell me I'm wrong.
1: Well, (laughs) unfortunately, we don't have a lot of eligibility requirements or other details yet. They basically have just said, "This is what we're going to do. We're going to have a film award for popular film." Now, there's a lot of discussion about this online.
2: Aren't the popular films already nominated for Best Picture anyway? No, not
1: necessarily. Uh, popularity and quality, quality, two different things. Here's my. But the here,
2: Titanic was nominated and won. Well, okay, but you know, but critics at the
1: time felt like it was a really good movie too. And many critics did. So I get and that, and they
2: were wrong. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I get okay. This is their rationale. This is what's going on behind the scenes. They just
2: want more viewers.
1: Their ratings have been plummeting every year. Sure. And as much as you and I are happy that a film like Moonlight or a film like um, Spotlight Mm -hmm. or even The Shape of Water this past year. Yeah. As much as you and I are happy and many filmgoers are happy that those are the films that are getting the, the awards and winning. Because in many cases, I thought in Moonlight's case, it was one of the best films of the year. I'm totally fine with it winning. And it was great to know that somebody with a small budget, a fairly new director, with a very kind of unorthodox film, made a really great film that got a lot of attention for it. But the problem is when you have Moonlight winning Best Picture and you have your your nominees made up of a lot of smaller independent films, people don't watch the ceremony.
2: See, my question is, isn't that what the Golden Globes is for?
1: Yeah, but the Golden Globes aren't the Oscars. The people who run the Oscars don't benefit from the Golden Globes. True. They benefit from the Oscars. They right. benefit from people watching their show. So they are putting out a popular so why film category. They just category.
2: Call it the Golden Globe Award yeah. at the Oscars. <laughs> like.
1: Well, here's 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 the, what, here's where my main concerns lie. Now I know I'm not alone on this, and I'd like to hear just okay. some of your misgivings too. By separating out, you have a, they're still saying there will be a best picture.
2: Okay. Can you be nominated for both?
1: Yes. Okay. Which I think starts to cause even more problems. Because you have a best picture field. Mm -hmm. You have a popular film field. Mm -hmm. Now, the general public, after a while, is going to pay attention to the popular film award. And what's going to happen, my feeling is, the best picture award basically becomes the artsy film award. Mm. This is the award that goes to the... Film that didn't connect with audiences or people don't know about, and they're going to refer to it as oh, that's that. That's the little low budget. So, so best picture award. is
2: basically second place, or like yes,
1: yeah, okay. They call it best picture, but right, people are going to pay attention to the popular one. Now, here's the other problem, Chris. Achievement
2: in popular film.
1: Um, take Black Panther. Mm-hmm. This is a film that before this whole thing came out, and it was released. Week, in so is
2: this category this will be a category for this That's year. That's what they're saying. Year. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Now Black Panther was something one that a lot of critics are saying, "Hey, we think it ought to be nominated for best picture." Mm-hmm. Especially if you have a field of 10, 9 or 10 best mm-hmm. picture nominees. A lot of people are saying Black Panther, really good film, should be nominated. So, but if they're rolling out a best, most popular, a popular film category, Mm. Black Panther will absolutely be in that category because it was like one of the biggest films of the year. I just
2: think box office, because that means obviously it was popular if it made money, right?
1: Right, but here is the problem, Chris. Okay, so if Black Panther's on the popular film list, which it would absolutely have to be there, I would think so. It would be a, I mean, there would be no reason for it not. It's one of the biggest films of the year, blockbuster film, and critics loved it.
2: So it'll be Black Panther, Mission Possible Fallout. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. If Black Panther is also eligible for the Best Picture Award, mm-hmm. then it's on there twice. And that's a spot that now is taken away from other films. The writer. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So you're saying to me, if Black Panther is Best Picture, truly Best Picture, mm-hmm. but also is the best popular film, mm-hmm. then basically we've shut out any opportunity for these smaller films to really get their, their notice at that Mm -hmm. point, there's no chance a moonlight is going to get the kind of attention it got under that scenario. To me, it's giving popular films double chances of winning Hmm. because if you make a popular film that makes a lot of money, I don't even know how they're going to define popular film. It's got to be based on box office. So like saying if it it grosses a hundred million or more or something,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They have a popular film, and if that popular film is also a really good film, then it's in two categories. But if you make a Moonlight that makes twenty million dollars, see, you're you, you don't get anywhere near the same attention that <laughs> right. the Black Panther does. Right. So you may still show up on the best best picture field, but so fewer people are going to be really focusing on that or thinking about that. It's going to be oh, Black Panther won best popular film. I guarantee you the general public after a few years will start to refer to the winner of the popular film as the best film.
2: Yeah, I it it is upsetting to me as well because I you know I'm always for the more independent films anyway, not that I don't like some blockbusters because I do, but um it just seems like such a stupid award. I mean, you know, achievement in popular film. They don't need an award. They've already got the money. They got the money. <laughs> but you know, who well, cares? And to me, the Oscars has always been about awarding excellence in something, whether it be the directing, like, oh, this is such an it is an achievement. An achievement in popular film, like, oh, congratulations, you made a lot of money. Like that's just dumb. That's not something I care to to recognize. You know, if it's a good film, it's a good film congratulations on getting a lot of money. I don't think you need any notif- I don't think you need an accolade for that. So well, I think just... it's
1: deeper than that. I think it's deeper than that. The Academy, the people who nominate and vote on who's going to win these awards, who's going to be nominated and who's going to win. Okay. If the problem is, well, let me back up. If the problem is that not enough popular films are getting nominated for these categories,
2: then which maybe is they just what need it to is. make better popular films. Well,
1: <laughs> yes. Or get a more diverse Academy of selection people well, true. that may be more willing to want to nominate a black Panther for best picture. And you don't have to worry about it. Right. See, okay. Go back to the dark Knight. The dark Knight actually is a film that's kind of as a reference point here because everybody in the world thought the dark Knight was going to be nominated for best picture. And everybody was excited because it would have been like the first superhero type movie, the first one of that genre. And, you know, also recognizing, uh, you know, I don't know. It just would have been a really big film to have nominated. And it would
2: have recognized maybe the first time Nolan would have been recognized, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And Ledger did get recognized, and he won he, posthumously. He did. true. But, but,
1: yeah. but Best Picture was what everybody was shooting sure, for sure. and thought was possible. It didn't get a Best Picture nomination. A lot of people were really upset about that. But, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the Academy itself, the makeup of the Academy. They just didn't select The Dark Knight as one of the whatever, five, six, seven, however many Best Picture nominees they had that year. So that's, you know, again... It's possible for a popular film to be one of the best films of the year. I have, I, I'm absolutely in favor of that. If somebody makes a film that's really popular and it's also really, really good, yes, it absolutely should be in that best picture nomination field. Best picture should be best picture. Doesn't matter if it costs $5 to make or $500 million. It's all about the people who are watching these films and say, which one do I think is the best film? Is it Black Panther? Is it Moonlight? Which one is it? That's where the key is. And I think to now say that we're just going to create this other side category just to get viewers to watch <laughs> and to give another award to a film that already made tons of money. And it's going to distract attention away from the real best picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's my big concern with it. Is I, I don't think as many people will run out to go see a Moonlight as a, when it wins best picture if Mission Impossible Fallout won best popular film. Everybody's going to think that's the best film. That was the one that won the award. That was the big film of the year. Okay, but don't forget my Moonlight. That was like the best film, you know. <laughs> right. So that's that's where I see the real issue. I think it's diluting the Best Picture. I think it's going to make it harder for those Best Picture winners. Well, and if you're going to do to that, get attention,
2: this would complicate things even more. But I'm like, well, if you're going to make that kind of stupid move, why don't you have? popular achievement in animated film and popular achievement in documentary film. And then like, you know, so you say, OK, here are the most five most popular documentaries they get. You know, and then let's nominate best documentary. You know what I mean? Like if you're doing that kind of stupid yeah. move, it does. I don't want to do them to do either. But I, it just we don't no do sense. this
1: for any other uh, music doesn't have a well, here's best song. And then here's best popular song. <laughs> it's just that it's all you know, you hear all the music. All the music's there. Granted, yes, the more popular music is going to be easier to notice and right. see in a year. But at the end of the day, it's still best song. Okay? Now, granted, I've never heard of a best song being won by somebody who was a very small, independent, you know, artist who wasn't signed with a major label. So that's in itself a problem. Sure. But I don't think this fixes it. No. I mean, you know, what's to stop it from in the future saying, well, you know, the five um, top nominees for best popular films – just happened to be because our maybe our academy changes its its, its uh, judging processes and the people on, on the committees, those five also pretty much are the best five for the best picture nominees. So now we've squeezed out all the independent films. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's where I worry things could go with this. So um, yeah, for what it's worth, that's, our, that's my opinion. <laughs> I, I think it's a real crime.
2: Just when we thought we really couldn't come up with any new arguments of why we're disappointed in the Oscars – they give us this. It's like, we want to give people who care about film and film critics, something new to gripe about. We're tired of them talking about how long the ceremony is or how they disagree with our choices. So what we're going to do is create a ridiculous category. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's bizarre. It
1: just does. And again, I'm not even sure what criteria. Yeah. We don't
2: know those yet, but it's gotta
1: be box office take. There's no Mm -hmm. other, there's no other metric to determine what's eligible for popular film.
2: Because you're voting with your, wallet or your pocketbook you're voting with your money so most popular would seem to indicate tickets sold.
1: so what would they do is they say okay uh transformers all the (laughs) films over a hundred million are eligible for this category yeah okay so now that gives us a certain bank of films for the year we say all right all these films grossed a hundred million domestically in 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 2018 so of these 14 films the board the committee the, the 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 academy has to nominate five Mm-hmm. to be the best five of those 20 films or whatever it is. Right. So it'll be the best popular films. But again, I would expect at least one or two of those might also be ones that were nominated for best picture as well. You would think, but yeah. Now, another question I've got is when this all happens, does the best picture field automatically go back down to five? Because the reason they opened it up to up to 10 is to try to get some of these bigger films in. Hmm. Actually, I think The Dark Knight triggered this. Mm -hmm. I think when they realized that The Dark Knight wasn't going to get a nomination and all these people are like, but this is one of the best films of the year, but it didn't fit in the top five. That's when they expanded the field, I believe, to say, oh, well, we'll go up to 10. Up to 10. They didn't always have 10. If there are 10. Sometimes there were nine or eight. Right. Um, They did that to try to get more popular films in. Got you. So once they do this, do they really need Best Picture to be the top eight, nine, 10, or can they go back to five? Ah, I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. It is kind of a first world problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, still, I, I guess and my argument for people who say that it is. Yeah. But these independent filmmakers that put their heart and soul into these projects and take big gambles with relatively small budgets and make a really, really great film. I just, I hate the idea that they may not get the acclaim and attention that they would have gotten under the older system. Because now they're going to get swallowed up by these big blockbusters that are going to hog all the attention for the evening. Um, yeah, that's my concern. Understandable. All right. That's all I've got for news. I just wanted to rant about that oh, for a that's, little bit.
2: That's, yeah, I don't actually have anything. But interestingly enough, yeah. segueing to our recommendation category or section of the show. My recommendation for this episode is actually a film you've already mentioned. Yeah. Um, it's The Dark Knight.
1: Oh, okay. That's, um, that's a lot of synergy we have between the segments yeah, I didn't anticipate. Um,
2: so. I recently revisited this film because it is the 10th anniversary of this film. It came out in 2008. We're now in 2018. And one of the reasons I wanted to revisit it is I believe I've only seen it twice. and Which is
1: surprising. I would have thought you've seen it more. I'm
2: a huge Batman fan. Yeah. And when I watched it the first time, you know, news of Heath Ledger's death had come. So you knew that going in. And it just felt really weird to me. And I was like, I I came out of it and I didn't really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I was really confused Hmm. by that.
1: I actually remember going to the screening with you. Okay. We went with some other people. And I remember you and I both came out somewhat disappointed.
2: It was just kind of weird. Okay. So I saw it a second time. Mm Mm-hmm. And what really struck me the second time was I still came away with a weird feeling, but the soundtrack, I noticed that I was like, I was blaming a lot of it on the soundtrack. The soundtrack would have underlining like whining noises or groaning noises or really sharp, intense noises that would just make you grind your teeth on me me grind my teeth the entire time I was watching. And I was just like, yeah, it's just really jarring and kind of unpleasant. Not what I expected for, just not what I expected for popular entertainment, a Batman film. Well, on my revisit, mm-hmm. I really was able, you know, it's, it's been two, 10 years. I'm actually going to say, and this is probably nothing. I think a lot of people say this, but for me it wasn't, but now it is. I think it's probably my favorite superhero movie, Okay, um, which is coming a long way from how I felt about it in 2008. I've been able to distance myself from, you know, Heath Ledger's death, which was such a, I mean, he, yeah, let's be honest. He looms over this film. He's the best thing about this film. Oh, yeah. He did actually get an Oscar for it, but it is just an amazing performance. Yep. Um, but what I've been able to do now is just kind of, you know, it's not as creepy seeing this person playing a psychopath on screen when you know he's passed away. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm used to that now. I know the mm-hmm. the history behind it and everything. I was able just to appreciate his performance. Mm-hmm. But also what I was able to see this time is just how very well I felt the film was constructed. Um, mm-hmm. Things that come like plot threads are thrown in there and they're all kind of, you know, tied up at the end. Just little things Nolan throws in there in the script and things, you know, about Rachel and like, oh, you see her come back in. And they're actually what's kind of impressive is they were battling so much with this. Batman Begins was successful. Mm-hmm. So then they have this film. It's a sequel. They don't get um, Katie Holmes back. They right. throw in Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is like, wait, different person. So, okay, it's just a different, different, you know, character. No, no, no. It's the same character. Yeah. Just a different actress playing her who mm-hmm. looks nothing like Katie Holmes. Like yeah. they don't even acknowledge it. They just keep going. But yet Michael Caine's still there. Christian Bale's still there. So you're like, okay, what, what's going on? Um <laughs> The coming and going of Two Face, which there was a lot of hype mm-hmm. about Two Face in this film, and the way Two Face is used and then ultimately done away with, mm-hmm. I was actually really and like now I really and I've seen now I've seen um, Dark Knight Rises, and I actually think I need to go revisit that film yeah, because that's when I, I need to revisit. I think my reaction to this film was so. I you know, I wouldn't have given it I gave it, I think, three and a half stars or you know, whatever. I still thought it was okay, but something held me back from liking it. And I think now I've appreciated it so much. And I've never really been that big on the third installment, mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises. I think I need to go back and revisit that because I think it's probably better. It was just there was like a bad taste in my mouth from Dark Knight. Yeah. But I'm saying upon this revisit, I really appreciate it and I can see why like you're saying people thought it should have been nominated for an Oscar for Best mm-hmm. Picture. I will say, however, Mm -hmm. granted, I am 10 years older now. (laughs) Obviously, Mm -hmm. that's how time works. I don't understand. And maybe I stated this. We may have reviewed Dark Knight. I have to look back in our archives and see if we we may have missed it. I
1: I don't know if we were doing the show 10 years ago. I
2: know we did Dark Knight Rises.
1: We did do Dark Knight Rises. But 10 years ago, I know we had the Film Society 10 years ago. But I don't know if we were doing the podcast 10
2: years ago. So we may have just missed doing this one. But um, I don't understand how this film is not R? yeah because i'm with you on that some of the things in here i am not spoiling anything the joker doing the pencil mm-hmm. gag yeah um, not gag if you can say yeah and just some of the way it's just a lot of times he is in close-up describing really disturbing events of mm-hmm. how he was tortured or he tortured oh, other people so, and it's just like what what is this doing being pg-13 yeah I don't. And how many people are well, shot or killed?
1: It's an or, example of how the rating system is purely a checkmark-based system.
2: Yeah, there wasn't. Do a lot they of, say? Oh, actually, do they you say know what?
1: the f-bomb more than once? Do Okay. They, you know, okay. Interesting. Know,
2: yeah. I don't believe they say the f-bomb. However, you cannot hear it. But at one point, the Joker, after that, really amazing. There's so many amazing set pieces. Yeah. But the one where the truck, the eighteen-wheeler, flips oh, yeah, over and he gets great. out. And he's basically facing down Batman and they come at each other <laughs> and then Batman dodges at the last minute yeah. and doesn't hit him. He turns around and says the F word, okay. but he kind of, kind of whispers it but can say, you can
1: So you could say it once in a PG, thirteen right, but I was movie. just like, well, see, that's where the whole rating it. system's so messed up because right. the rating system doesn't take disturbing, creepy, you know, it doesn't take these things that could be really damaging. I think to kids to watch, it's all about. What curse words did they use? How many times did Is they show, explicit, yeah, they show nudity? Not. Do they, whatever? That's why it's all so much a checkbox system. I and mean, that's why dark Knight uh, bypassed a lot of those check marks. It was violent, but yet it was never really, really bloody. Mm hmm disturbing lots of people
2: getting shot but you don't see like blood yeah. spattering and then the,
1: the foul language it was minor minor yeah. so it was just disturbing and disturbing isn't a checkbox on the rating system list so well and i
2: know. think unfortunately too <laughs> you know, this film is called the dark knight yeah and i was when i saw it back in 2008 i think the darkness of the dark knight really weighed heavily on me yeah. and made me not like it as much um now 10 years later maybe because of Situations in the world or political climates or whatever, you know, it just seems to be more, it, it doesn't bother me as well, much. Well, think I about guess.
1: it too. Think about compared to all the superhero films that we've got, got a glut of over the last oh, seven or eight years. None of them got really super dark. I mean, we talked about the DC films like uh, Batman versus Superman all being darker. Sure. But none of them really got dark, dark. And the Marvel films are so mm. light and breezy so I think well, now,
2: except Infinity War were halfway. well but gets still even, even in the sure. midst of
1: all that the no, film is right. still relatively light sure. you know in terms of color and humor and all that Right. so I think you can go back and see a film like The Dark Knight and be like it's, it's a little refreshing now to see a real gritty dark superhero film and it works now um I, I remember watching the film and being disappointed when I came out because I love Batman Begins. I, it's I, I one Batman of Begins my a, absolute go. favorite films. I, I, for me, it's the best superhero film ever. Before
2: this revisit, um, yeah. I probably would have put it up at the top. But I, now I think The Dark Knight may surpass well, it. Well,
1: my thing with The Dark Knight, and I do need to watch it again because it's been several years. Is well, the so villain is so
2: good. And Batman, again, an excellent film, but you know it gets a little scattered with who the villain is. A
1: little is. bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit the villain, uh, the Joker, is the best thing in that whole trilogy. It's the best villain ever put on screen for a superhero film. It, it Yeah, it's great. I, just, I found The Dark Knight so chaotic and cluttered. Not not in an intentional way of like I'm we're trying to create chaos around us because that's part of the theme of the film. Oh, it's man. the some scenes were just so quick and just jump to jump to jump to, to things. Mm. The times where Nolan let the scene play out, like I I can remember I'm really admiring the scene where the Joker goes to visit Two Face in the hospital. Yes. Loving it. Because it actually took its time, and there was actually a good, nice pace to it. But then there were some scenes I remember being on the scenes on the screen so quick, and then immediately jumping in this really staccato rhythm to like other parts. I felt like it was trying to cram so much into a two-hour movie that left me a little cold as I walked away from it. But I will give you the villain is perfect. I think the look of the film, the style of the film, is perfect. I just I need to watch it again because I just remember being so overwhelmed but I felt the same way about the dark Knight rises, the same chaotic, way too much crammed in. The thing that made that film a lesser film is because it didn't have a Heath ledger performance. It didn't have that same caliber performance to work with.
2: And you couldn't understand half of what was coming out of Tom Hardy's mouth.
1: (laughs) But even so, even though I think the Bane character is interesting, they did not pull it off in that film to make it anywhere close to the, the, what the level was set with the Joker. So, um, Batman Begins is still my favorite, but I will need to go back and watch both of the other two again to really solidify that.
2: Well, and I think, I, re- you know, like I said, my estimation has gone up. And I just wonder if Dark Knight Rises would have been different had Heath Ledger not passed away and had, like, you know, what did they have to retool on some of the planning for that? Well,
1: uh, I know we're kind of going off on the tangent here a little bit, too, but. My understanding is, if you remember in The Dark Knight Rises, there's a scene uh, after Gotham has kind of fallen, and it's now gone to chaos, and it's all run because by the villains. He's, yeah, okay. The there's a part that's played by the Scarecrow from the Batman Begins,
2: which but, he's in Dark Knight too.
1: He is, but yeah. he was also in Dark Knight Rises. Okay, but the part that they had him playing in Dark Knight Rises was supposed to be for the Joker. Ah, he was kind of like a judge in, a criminal, in the criminal underworld and like <gasps> oh, passing yeah. judgment on people and all. And you could see how the Joker oh, would have played that role so
2: good. Huh?
1: It wasn't okay. going to be a major role, my understanding, but it was going to be a continuing role of that.
2: Cause I liked like seeing, I'd forgotten how the scarecrow was in dark Knight, yeah. And I saw him, I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. He's here. And I and I'd totally forgotten that he was in dark Knight rises as yep. well. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: But that's the part um, that they supposedly had a plan for the well, job and
2: stuff like that. And like you said, we're getting way off on a tangent. That's I was just right. supposed to recommend this movie and move on, <laughs> but stuff like that, I guess that's what I was raised on. And so when I see the modern day, Marvel and DC movies, even though I know they were building towards infinity war and everything, It just seems like I don't know. I just I just don't appreciate it as much as I should, I guess. But it just seems like what they were trying to do with Nolan's Batman stuff was just well, but
1: okay. But I'll counter it with the Nolan's Batman series. I think worked so well as the the trilogy because it was some continuing stories. You know, even though it took bigger it took bigger jumps in time between them. But it was still continuing. I mean, it was still Rachel Dahls was the girl in the first movie, and then we get to continue her story and relationship with Bruce in the second. You know, the uh, the scarecrow's in the first movie, the bad guy, but he has some moments in the second. I mean, it's the same kind of storytelling as the Marvel films are. The difference is, there's I think, three the,
2: as opposed to five million.
1: movies. Well, there's that. Um, But, you know, again, I can kind of equate it back to comic books. I mean, this is a comic book universe that the Marvel world has has been in. It was more of a singular graphic novel series that Nolan was doing. It's like it had a start and a finish. Finish. I just think it was the craftsmanship that was what made the Dark Knight series so good. And I don't think we've seen anywhere near that craftsmanship in any of the Marvel movies. Okay. Okay. I I think they're all good and fun and enjoyable, but I can't look back and say any one of them have achieved the level of craftsmanship that Nolan put into the Batman series. Gotcha. So, and I don't think we've had any of the performances to the level that we've had, <laughs> even Christian Bale, who I think is really good as Batman, but I think there's been and, and Michael Caine as as Alfred is really good throughout the yeah, whole thing. So I mean, agree. the level of performances Nolan got and the craftsmanship he put into crafting the film, we just haven't seen that with the Marvel films, but it's not to say the Marvel films have been bad because I've really enjoyed them. And they're well-respected by most critics. It's just you can't pick out one singular film and say that one was amazing. It's like more of they're all fun. Collective. They're all good. Yeah. He has a collective experience instead of a singular experience. So, okay. All right. Are you done with your recommendation? Is that it?
2: Yes. <laughs> I am done.
1: Might be a lot shorter. Okay. Um, as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm kind of running out of these recommendations because here's my thing. I, I log all the films I've seen. But what I found this time around was the just unique type of movie this was. Think about this in 1980. It was a Saturday Night Live little skit, one-off musical performance that, that uh, John Belushi and Dan Ackroyd put together. I think they put it together like at the last minute because somebody, one of their musical guests, wasn't able to perform again. They hmm. so are like, oh, hey, we both love old R&B. We both love old soul music and we've got they've actually got these suits that were part of a skit that had just been on earlier in the evening You're like hey let's just go out and let's go perform and then the blues brothers were born so you start with a skit you create a movie that really is a pretty simple plot these two guys want to save this orphanage and they need $5000 to pay the taxes in 11 days and they go and just the film itself is really Odd because it 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 will it will flip in between musical and it will have some scenes where you've got some classic Ray Charles Aretha Franklin doing some musical performances and it's comedy but yet it's also very. Bizarre comedy at times. Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and it's also completely over the top. It's mm-hmm. almost cartoonish at times. Like especially the scene with Carrie Fisher as kind of a woman stalking them. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and she pulls out like a rocket launcher and like blows up out of a telephone booth at one point. I mean you're watching it like this is so bizarre, but I found the humor in it this time, which I don't think I found as, as much younger when I saw it. It is funny. And there are some really funny moments. It's not a slapstick laugh out loud every moment comedy though sure um there were very few moments that were very good subtle humor and just more of you're laughing more at the situations than you are at lines or specific readings or particular characters um i had a lot more fun with it i still think it's a pretty sloppy movie but i think the heart's in the right place and i think just if you're you know Able to kind of go in and, and just look for a good, enjoyable comedic time with some really good musical performances. It was a lot of fun to watch.
2: So. See, it's you know, a lot of times on here we say new movies that we've seen or we talk about newer movies. You and I are both talking about, you know, older movies at this point, but both ones were saying people should revisit. I really wanted to revisit Dark Knight. I, I want to revisit Blues Brothers because Blue Brothers, I haven't seen it in a while and I, I like it, but I think I would. I think I'd probably respond to it even more now.
1: Yeah, it's just I look at it more of a, wow, this was a really unique film to be putting out at this time. Sure. And even now, if a film like this came out, I I can't even think of a good comparison. (laughs) That was just, it's so reverent to the music, but also an eye towards the comedy, Mm -hmm. and you feel like... It was more a matter of, well, we want to have a scene with Aretha Franklin singing a song in a diner. We want to have Ray Charles singing a, playing a song in a music shop. <laughs> how do we stitch all these together? And then Cab Calloway is going to do, oh, yeah. do a scene on a big stage at the end. How do we stitch them all together and make some sort of story out of this? It's like, well, this is about the simplest story we can come up with. Let's just go with it. And that's kind of how I felt like the I movie mean, worked.
2: And just the stuff that, that, you know, the chase and the police cars that went through a mall. Oh, my gosh. Like, like all that kind of stuff. Like...
1: Can I talk about the car chases?
2: <laughs> yes, there is.
1: Yes, I had forgotten. Oh yeah, how extensive the car and chases it was were. Expensive, and destructive. Yeah, there was one moment. I think I counted sixteen police cars all crashing into one another, piling up on one another. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is. I mean, the movie didn't look like it was very expensive to make, except for those car crashes. <laughs> that probably was more than fifty percent of the budget, just that alone. Yeah, I was. I was pretty amazed by all the car destruction.
2: And you're amazed now in yeah, 2018. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Cuz it was one of those things where you start to see the cars pile up you're like, "Huh. Yeah, they really wrecked a lot of cars." I was like, "And they're still going." And they're still going. And there's still more cars coming. But it got to be so funny cuz you're like, "Okay, yeah, this is completely over the top now." And as long as you know this is where they're going with this film, you have fun with it. Right. So I uh I still can't say I like John Landis as a director, hmm. but um, this film worked for me this time. I had fun. To, I had fun with it. Cool. Yeah. So that's our show. Yeah. We, we had an interesting show, Chris. We did. The writer, we both, uh, really responded to and liked and, and, and recommend. Uh, I think, yeah, it got me. It got me emotionally. It got me on a, on a level that, uh, it was even a little hard to talk about, but it mm-hmm. was, uh, it was a good film. I think it has a, some interesting, interesting things going on with it. Three identical strangers. Also, one that I think was an interesting discussion film, and uh, both of us are still recommending that film as well. You were higher on it than I was. I might have been a little higher on the writer than you. Maybe and you yeah. were higher on Three Possibly. Identical Strangers yep. than me. Um, then we got into our soapbox on the on the Oscars, <laughs> um, and then we've recommended two films that we both have intentionally gone back to revisit to see if we could kind of correct some of our initial impressions of the film. And both of us came out of it with some higher opinions than what we had the first time around. So pretty interesting show. Oh yeah. Might be one of our better ones. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a nominee for, would it be a nominee <laughs> for best Podcast episode, or most popular podcast episode. Right. I guess we we'll have to wait and see the download numbers. Sure, to know if it would fall into that category or not. Sounds fair. So Chris, we already mentioned our film festival. We did want to remind everybody September 28th through the 30th. Hope to see you that weekend, or uh, if you have any questions or need information, footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you want to go. And TheMesh.TV is where this show is being broadcast from, if you want to use that term. It is a podcast, which means you can subscribe to it. You can uh, go to our website at TheMesh.TV, or you can go on to Apple iTunes or any other podcast store. Google Play Store, TuneIn Radio has us on there. I think Stitcher Radio has us. Anywhere you can, and you can subscribe to us to make sure that you get every new episode we put out when we have it available for you. But, Chris, uh, you know, people love the idea of a popular film category in the Oscars. How should they reach out to us and let us know their opinions
2: on this? You should write all your grievances about our opinions to info at TV and just put foot candle films in the subject line and they'll filter it our way. And yeah, let us know how you think that's the best idea for an Oscar film category or say how you love the fact that the Oscars is 18 hours long, because that means you just don't go to bed that night and you love staying up all night to try to watch this thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, just, just let us know. Al and I also have accounts on Letterboxd where you talked about we try to log films that we see and every now and then give star ratings or put up short reviews. That's another way you can kind of uh, follow the show. Also, um, I think we mentioned it in the past, but Foot Candle Film is on Twitter. So you can follow, We you know, kind of make announcements on there about the festival as well as we usually try to let you know when new episodes come out. If you don't go to iTunes. Um, but you know, or another podcast app or something that's another way you can find out about episodes.
1: Yeah, so a lot of different ways to reach out to us. And we do encourage you to do that. So, Chris, until our next episode, uh, I think we're done for today. Thanks everybody for listening.
2: See you in the ticket line.